0: Uh, The scripture I'll be reading this morning comes from Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh, by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, Not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the word of God. Thank you, God. Y'all can take a seat. Good morning. Thank you for being here with us this morning. Um, Curtis is taller than our average scripture reader, so taller than the average human, I think, Um. Thank you for reading, Curtis, and man, guys, thank you for leading worship this morning. Um, I think I came in this morning uh, to the building weak, and I didn't know it, and man, that time of worship was, was really sweet and special, just reminding me of my weakness, reminding me that I don't have to be an awesome preacher. Um, I don't have to be good enough. Because Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough for me. Um, he's all I need. All I need is only a holy God, right? Man, those songs preach uh, the gospel so clearly. So I did not uh, plan on crying uh, through every single song this morning. So it's, it's going to be a big deal if I can make it through the sermon this morning without crying. Um, but my wife's best piece of advice for me was always take a sip of water when you feel like you're about to cry. So, um, For those that don't know, my name is Ryan Owens, and I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer. And I grew up in San Angelo. Um, one of the, the best memories that I have these recurring um, times of the year is at the rodeo. You guys like the rodeo when it comes to town? Okay, we love the rodeo. I'm honestly surprised my wife hasn't made the, the comment like, okay, well, football's here, which is basically it's cold now, which means it's pretty much winter, and February's right around the corner, so the rodeo's almost here. Um, that has not been said yet, but I'm sure uh, maybe if it gets a little bit colder. We're about 15 degrees away from feeling like rodeo weather at least. But some of you... We're not going to point any fingers, but some of you like the carnival more than the rodeo. Um, we are not big carnival fans, but if you like the carnival, that's okay. Do you guys know the House of Mirrors? Are we familiar with the House of Mirrors? Okay. Um, we've got the the mirror maze, and I've embarrassed myself a few times walking through the House of Mirrors. I won't do it again. That's probably the primary reason I don't like the carnival now, um, but... That the mirror maze, and then you walk through who knows what kind of gauntlet that is, but um, as a kid, it felt more like the house of horrors, but the floor is shifting in one room, and then you walk down this hallway that's just a cylinder spinning, right, and you can't stand up. I remember as a kid taking so long to get out of there that by the time I finally got out of the house of mirrors, I couldn't tell that the, flo- the ground was still, I was the one that was moving. I'm okay being the only person in human history to fall down harder after getting out of the house of mirrors. Um, I I can be okay with that. My righteousness is in Christ. But um, That illustration might seem a little bit cheesy, might seem like a stretch, but doesn't life sometimes feel like a house of mirrors? Doesn't it sometimes feel like the path in front of you, you don't know which step to take without busting your face? Maybe you've experienced an incredible loss and it feels like the ground is shaking underneath you and you can't stand up straight. Maybe you're in the same argument with the same person again and it just feels like the walls are spinning and you're trapped in this relationship that's supposed to be better than this. Where do you put your foundation? How do you center your life and your relationships on something that's stable and unwavering? We spent the last two weeks, like Brian said, talking about the preeminence of Christ, right? That Jesus is not just better than all the rest, but he's the only one. He's so much better that all of these other little g-gods, these idols, are false gods, He's the only true God. He's preeminent over creation, the only one to have ever created. And he's preeminent over the church, the head of the body, us in this room. This week, we're going to talk about what life is like in light of the preeminence of Jesus? How do we go through this house of mirrors that we call life, understanding and living like Jesus is stable and steadfast for us? And I don't find it a coincidence that this morning the Holy Spirit decided to remind me of how weak I am. That my foundation, my strength, my stability is not in whether or not I can preach a good sermon. It's not in what my week looks like. My stability, my ability to remain steadfast is in Jesus. And in this paragraph, Paul starts with two words, and you. Now, my experience, I hope, is similar to y'all's. Maybe you've heard these words before, and someone says, and you. That's usually backloaded with accusation, right? Or you're about to take a good long look at your life. Or maybe they've already done the work for you. And you're about to, you're about to find out what they saw. Right? And you. That's, those are important words for us. That's, those are gripping words. Paul's grabbing us in the Colossians. Colossians by our collars and saying, and you. But what follows is not an accusation, surprisingly. Let's read. And you, who were once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He lays before the Colossians the tough truth of their former life, alienated, hostile Evil. Well, that's certainly how we describe the pagan Colossians. But is that how we would describe ourselves? Worshipping false gods, sacrificing children, hateful, maybe racist towards other people groups, liars, adulterers, greedy, willing to do anything or everything to get a step ahead in personal success. We may even do this in the name of Jesus. I'm not being mean, I'm being honest. We have to be able to look at the reality of our flesh, of our sin, of this nature that is in us, to constantly want to be God or want to control God But you have to know who you are, who you were, so that you can know who you are now in Jesus. This idea, the word alienated, um, I can't pronounce most of these Greek words, so that's probably why, like Brian will say, well, the Greek Greek word here is adelphos. I can't pronounce a lot of these Greek words, so I'm just going to trust you and say the Greek word is some... Uh, 12 letter long with lots of consonants. You can go look it up. But the idea communicated behind this Greek word, alienated, is that you're under another owner. You're not just separated, right? You're not just estranged. It's not that you're just not a citizen of heaven. You have another ownership, another identity, another loyalty that is not God. That's why Paul follows with hostile and evil because when your ownership is something other than God, you make yourself God's enemy. And you act like an enemy. I'm a Cowboys fan. I will not cheer for the Eagles. Thank you. Oh no. We 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 can still love each other though. We're in Christ. A Cowboys fan and an Eagles fan will not cheer for one another. When you are an enemy of someone, you live like an enemy, right? Unless you're in the church. (laughs) It's not just not being saved. Being God's enemy impacts and influences the way that you think, the way that you live. If you don't trust and follow Jesus you automatically make yourself God's enemy. We talked last week about how not accepting Jesus to be your salvation is rejecting Jesus. There's no neutral ground. You're presented with a way out of death. You either accept it. The only alternative is rejecting it. And we can, do, we can live this way. We can, we can and do live this way as Christians. Accepting Jesus, we can and do live half-hearted. We can and do continue to walk in our sinful, fleshly nature. This that Paul says, and you, who were once, this past tense phrase, we can and do still live that way, but that is not our identity. Jack Miller A pastor and professor in Pennsylvania uh, in the 70s and 80s says this about the reality of our sin and our Savior. He says, cheer up. You're a worse sinner than you ever dared imagine. Most of your sin you're not aware of. What you are aware of probably makes you feel pretty low, doesn't it? And to think that we're way worse off than we could even imagine. Cheer up. You're a way worse sinner than you'd ever dared imagine. And you're way more loved than you'd ever dared imagine. Because the the depth of your sin, the reality that you existed in, does not condemn you in Christ. It has no power. So let's look at that love. Let's look at what Jesus has made you to be because God loved you so deeply that his love is more powerful than your sin. He didn't just merely change your behavior. The gospel is not behavior modification. We don't trust Jesus to be a better person Jesus has given you a new owner, himself. He's given you a new identity, himself. Let's look at 22. And you, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. There's no transition. He says, and you who were once hostile, alienated, doing evil deeds, now he's reconciled you. Emphatic, automatic. There was nothing you had to do to get there. Holy. That means set apart, blameless, without sin. How can that be? We just read that we were born in sin, that our nature is sin. But in Christ, we are blameless and above reproach. The picture that came to mind automatically was, um, I'm I'm sorry, Hunter, I'm going to have to do this. My brother is here, and he's seven or eight years younger than me. And when he was, you know, five, six years old, he wanted to play football all the time in the front yard. And when I'm a 12, 13-year-old, that's just not, like, I don't want to play with my little brother. I, th- I think back on that, and it, it hurts my heart to, to know that I had turned him down so many times where I, I messed around with him. But I would take the football and hold it above his head, right? <laughs> You're like, okay, you want to play football? Then we'll play football. I'm going to go score a touchdown. And he couldn't tackle me. He couldn't get the ball. The illustration there is that your, your identity Your holiness, your blamelessness is up here with Christ. And you are above reproach. Accusation can't even get close to you. It can't jump high enough to get you. Because who you are in Christ is seated in heaven with God. And there is nothing that can get to heaven with God but Jesus You're above all the accusation of your sin. You're above all the dirtiness and messiness of your sin. You're holy and blameless, above reproach. I want to point out something else here in verse 22. Because Paul says, And you, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Body of flesh is a redundant term. Flesh has this sin nature connotation if you look throughout the rest of Scripture. When we talk about flesh, we're talking about our evil deeds against God, our nature that we just exist in. The preeminent Jesus, holy, blameless, above reproach himself, took on your sinful flesh in a way that's not like Iron Man putting on his suit. Jesus took on your sinful flesh so that you could put on his holiness, his blamelessness, his being above reproach. Jesus was tempted to live an indulgent, sin-ridden, evil-doing, God-rejecting life. Jesus, the Son of God, was tempted to live alienated, hostile, and evil. And because he kept resisting sin and Satan, and they kept coming. That means that he resisted temptation far worse and far stronger than we ever could. We always fall down. C.S. Lewis, uh, I think he uses this analogy that um, resisting temptation is like standing against the wind. And the wind keeps getting stronger. Eventually, we're going to get blown over. Jesus is the only man he took on flesh to be human. He's the only human to beat the wind. Let's look at Hebrews 2. This isn't just C.S. Lewis. This isn't just my idea. Hebrews 2, 17 through 18. We have confidence in Christ. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers, you, In every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. That means to be our sacrifice. To be enough to please God. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That deserves an amen. Jesus was tempted far worse than you have ever been or ever will be, and he endured it so that he can be right next to you in your temptation. We need to lean on Jesus to be our strength. And a good, just application for that prayer and proximity if, if you're if you remember in the midst of temptation to pray pray if you can't find the strength call somebody text somebody now before we move on to verse 23 I want to I want to set up the thinking here because we think transactionally because we're consumers we're Americans So when we see language like we do in verse 23, we're thinking about transactions. If and then. If I do this, then God will do this. The whole point of this paragraph is to remind us that this is not a transaction. This is done for us. There's nothing we've done to earn it, so there's nothing we can do to lose it. So when Paul says if, he's really saying If you can just continue, if you can just stay with Jesus, that's a promise. Let's look at the rest of Scripture to help us understand. And I only pulled two other verses. 1 Corinthians 1.8 tells us that it's Jesus who will sustain us to the end. He will sustain you to the end. There's no if. Old Testament, Psalm 121 that God will keep your foot from stumbling. God doesn't sleep. You don't have to shake him awake when you're being tempted. God will keep you. He will keep your life. He will keep you from evil. You should read Psalm 121. And here in verse 23, we get the same reminder, we get the same promise that a life in Christ... Is stable and steadfast. The if is what life looks like in the midst of that because we're we're wavering, we're broken people, we're still on shaky ground, we don't get to get out of the house of mirrors just yet. But Jesus is coming back for us, and someday we'll be with him. There won't be any back and forth. Let's read verse 23. Let's look at this promise. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So what's the promise here? What's this continuing in the faith? It's not about you never sinning again. That's what we want to think of. That's, what, that's when we see the if you continue, we think, okay, so I'm not supposed to sin. I'm supposed to be Perfect. No, that's more pressure than we can bear. We are not God. That's already been done for us. It's not that you've got to keep up the good work. It's not that you've got to keep up the religious duties. Continuing in faith is recognizing the truth of verse 22. Always going back and remembering the gospel. You have... Holiness, blamelessness, purity, righteousness. You are in Christ if your faith is in Christ. There's no if. Even though we still wrestle. Even though we waver. Even though we may doubt. Even though we may have questions. Even though a pandemic might hit. Even though our entire life circumstances might change, we might lose a job, we might lose a family member. Even though sin is crouching at our door and its desire is to consume us, we have a stable and steadfast hope in Jesus. When you trust in the cross of Jesus that in his body of flesh that he died to reconcile you to bring you back to God when you trust in Jesus to do that for you you are now in him you get his holiness and his righteousness there's nothing you nothing you've done to earn that so there's nothing you can do to lose it genuine faith continues So what do we do with our questions, with our doubts? How do we keep making it through incredible loss and pain? How, whenever life feels like a house of mirrors, do we keep taking the next step? What do we do when we have continued in sin and can't find our way out? Continuing in the faith is remembering, excuse me, remaining in Jesus. And there's ways that we can do that, especially when we're not strong enough. In John 15, Jesus tells us, abide in me. And the image he gives us is of a branch in a tree trunk. You cut off the branch, you cut it off from life. The only way we have life is in Jesus. We remain in him. We abide in him. We may turn back to our sin because we're weak and broken people but we abide and remain in Jesus as our life source. So there's two ways. We preach the gospel to ourselves, so we pray. We remind ourselves, have those internal conversations about this is who I once was, but who I am now. Memorize this verse and pray it. Open your Bibles if you haven't memorized it. And just read it out loud to yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself. That you were once an enemy of God, but are no longer. In Christ, you have life. In Christ, you are holy and blameless and above reproach. When Jesus has already won that for you, it doesn't take your strength to get it back. You already have it. The other thing is you, you can let other people preach the gospel to you. Sometimes we're so confused and disoriented that we need help. We need other people to preach this gospel over us. And this isn't just a, a one-off. We don't, we don't just call a buddy and say, Hey, help me out this one time, and I'll never go back to this again. This it has to be the way we live. Preaching the gospel to ourselves, letting other people preach the gospel to us. That means we have to be open and vulnerable to people, which is hard. But when you're, when you're okay being weak, when you're okay letting Jesus be strong for you, you can go to somebody you trust, somebody you love, and talk about these things. Let them preach the gospel over you. Let them pray for you. This is why we believe in church membership. One of the reasons This is why we wanted to have a church, uh, a new members class next month. We don't get to walk through this house of mirrors by ourselves because when you do, you're going to fall down. You're going to smash your face. The likelihood of you getting out is way lower. But when you walk together, when you're in the middle of this, catastrophic situation, pain, temptation, beating yourself up because you failed against temptation. And you can't really even have the strength to stand up. And I'm talking figuratively, spiritually. When you're weak, can you bring yourself to Jesus? Can you bring yourself to pray? Can you bring yourself to just understand truths of scripture. It's a lot harder. You need people around you to preach these things to you. Trust the Holy Spirit in the church. Trust the Holy Spirit in your fellow Christians. We need to engage these questions and doubts together. That is how We continue in the faith. That is how we are stable and steadfast. Not shifting from the gospel that you heard. That last bit, the gospel that you heard. Not shifting from the gospel that you heard. We can so often think that we've graduated. Yeah, I'm saved. Now I'm doing Bible study. Now I'm studying Hebrew. Now I'm in seminary. Now I'm serving. Now I'm doing all these things. I got saved that one day back in 2007. This is a life of returning. We don't graduate from the gospel. We don't say yes to Jesus one time and then pretend like that was the entry point. Jesus says that he's the gate, but he's also the way and the truth and the life. He's not just the way in. This gospel that saved you is the gospel that keeps you. Stay clinging to the gospel of Jesus as your salvation and your life. This was one of the the cheap false gospels presented to the Colossians. That there was something higher than Jesus, some extra knowledge that you could get. And that that's a temptation on us, too. That there's some religious duty I can do, there's some paper I can sign. There's a a task list that I have to keep up with. In order for me to be okay, I have to feel okay with myself. And that's just not true. We never graduate from Jesus. And I want to give you an example uh, from my life. And I need you to hear this because, like I said in the beginning, I'm weak. I'm going to call Brian out. He's weak. He'll want you to know that. We're just run-of-the-mill... Don't don't put us on a pedestal. Just because we're on a stage doesn't make us higher, doesn't make us better Christians. We're run of the mill, ordinary, broken followers of Jesus. So um, I want you to hear this story. For the first several years of marriage, Kendall and I uh, would have the same argument. And it would show up every two or three months like we put it on the calendar, the content would change. It would be different things that we'd argue about, but the pattern was the same. Do you guys feel that? Anybody else? You don't have to put your hands up. Just internalize. And part of the reason that that pattern was happening again and again and again was because one of us would bring a conflict to the other, and we'd start to have conversation about it, and I'd start to feel accused and one thing that I learned was that, okay, um, good conflict resolution is admitting that, that you've done something wrong. Um, so I, <laughs> I felt like that applied to me, but it more so applied to my wife. So I would apologize real quick. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I hurt you. But you, let me tell you what you did to make me do that thing. That's self justification. That's me being convinced that I have to make myself blameless and above reproach. If you can't apologize, or if you can't apologize without bringing up something else that that person did, you might be trying to justify yourself before other people and before God. That's something Jesus has already won for you. You can be wrong. You can apologize and leave it there. You can be weak. You can be okay that you hurt somebody. You should feel remorse and repentance. But Jesus is enough to be enough for you. You don't have to make it up. One of the the big ways that this came out that I started recognizing um, that helped me understand over the course of a long time, this is a, a lifetime of walking and preaching the gospel to yourself. This is why community is so important. It helps speed up that process when you trust people to be honest with you. But one of the things that helped point that out outside of those arguments was actually my road rage. Anybody else have road rage? The thing that bothered me the most was when I'm turning, or when I'm going behind a car that's turning, and they're turning so slow. (laughs) That makes me so angry. But there's plenty of other things, right? But I would forget all the times that I had to turn slow because I had dinner in the car, Or I had a brand new baby in the car and I didn't want to turn too fast. I forget that their circumstances might be different than mine. It's a lot easier to forget when I've broken the rules when someone's breaking the rules right in front of my face and I get mad. Also, self-glorification. So self-justification is one. Self-preservation is another one. And that's just like the constant need to protect yourself. That your, your security is in your control. Jesus doesn't have control over your security. You have security un, under wraps, right? How's that work? The other one is self-glorification. That's another one that attacks me right in my heart. Because I want to be impressive. I want to be good at stuff. I want people to like me and think I'm smart, and think I'm funny. Really, I just want my wife to think I'm funny. (laughs) But that causes me to do things in a way that earns approval. So I people please, and I'm able to get walked over. Or I forget that other people's emotions are a thing, and other people might be sensitive, And so I might talk over somebody because I want to seem smart. Or I might crack a joke at the expense of somebody because I want to seem funny. We are weak. We will return to the same old ways of living. But in those moments, we have to trust that Jesus already approves of us. And he presents us before the Father approved of without blemish, spotless. This is the idea of the the high priest um, bringing before God the atonement sacrifice that has to be completely spotless or else the atonement doesn't measure up. Jesus has already been that spotless atonement for us. That means that the sins of our past and our present and our future have already been taken care of. So even though we still sin, we still continue, we still wrestle, we remain in Jesus by preaching the gospel to ourselves that I don't have to justify myself. I can be okay. I can apologize to my wife and not point four fingers back at her. I can be okay driving on the road because, yeah, I cut people off sometimes too and don't know it. Maybe do it on purpose. I can be okay not preaching a killer sermon and making you think that I'm a great preacher. I can be okay not being the smartest person in the room because Jesus already presents me before the Father and the Father already accepts me As I am. You can be weak. This is the gospel. We take communion together as one way to remember that Jesus is enough for us. We take communion. um, we, We take the body and the blood of Jesus. We eat. And we drink because it's Christ's holiness, Christ's righteousness, Christ's purity that lives inside us. And so we've got tables in the back with the elements on them. If you're a believer, would you take and eat and remember that Jesus is enough for you in the most painful suffering of your life? And on the good, awesome days, you didn't get there on your own. And remember that even though we are so frequently tempted and often fail to go back to that same sin, to go back to those same tendencies, Jesus keeps you holy, blameless, and above reproach. Continuing in the faith is letting the Jesus that saved you from sin and death Be the Jesus that keeps you in him. Let's pray. Holy Father, we trust you to be enough for us because we are not enough, because you are good and you have loved us. We trust you, God. And we need you. There is no other name in heaven and on earth that could save us. There's no other name in heaven and earth that can keep us. Only Jesus. God, would you remind us in your grace as we're facing temptation, as we fail in temptation, as we face the hardest times of our lives in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of incredible loss and suffering, in the middle of wondering what's the next step in our life Jesus, would you remind us that you have already won salvation and holiness and purity and righteousness for us. And would you help us to remain in you and come back to you. God, would you help us to worship you for this truth. Would you remind us that we are not enough And that you deserve all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. Not because you're useful, but because you are worthy. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.